Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Autosport Podcast. We review the Hungarian Grand Prix and ask if there's anything Red Bull could have done to stop Lewis Hamilton winning. Hungarian Grand Prix continued Formula One's fantastic mid-season run of races with Lewis Hamilton chasing down and passing Max Verstappen with just four laps remaining. Given how the season started and the general air of misery after the French Grand Prix, what a turnaround that's been. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look back on the Hungarian Grand Prix first is Stuart Codling. Good evening, Ed. I, I should describe you're, you're sat on the uh, you're sat on a footrest. Can I correct your, your um, past continuous participle and say I'm sitting on an ottoman? Uh, it's also <laughs> known as a poof, but I'll call it an ottoman. And here we are in a cornerstone of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Habsburg dynasty, and verily I'm sitting on an ottoman. Well, there we go. That's very, very appropriate. And you're uh, in the corner of my room next to the minibar, so that gives you uh, easy access to a beverage. If, if necessary. I see you already have a beverage. I've so. obtained this from the bar. Splendid, splendid. Uh, last weekend, it was, it, was, it was German beer I had uh, last week. This one, I think, is, is local. Um, the, the lady at the bar produced the, uh, her, the pouch for my change from the fridge. So she said, uh, oh, it's not hot money, it's cold money. And I thought, hmm, crazy. That's what counts for humour here in uh, here in Budapest. We've uh, we've learned. Also joining me is is Scott Mitchell, who is uh, looking his is looking very cheerful. I can't follow that. The 
Don't ever, don't please never introduce me second to Codders again because that is an impossible act to follow. That's very very true. He is, uh, he's, but he always lifts everyone. I think he, I think he does. I I I like to think. Um, I think this is the perfect opportunity to uh, introduce to our podcast listeners your favourite question to ask Stuart Codlin, which is broadly speaking. At what point in your life, Codders, did you decide to be how you are? Because it it's got to have been a conscious decision, surely. I don't know. Maybe the eccentricity crept up on me. <laughs> it's it's been there as long as I know you. But uh, for those who don't know you personally, you're you're far less insufferable than you sound. So, uh... <laughs> well, you did say, Ed, uh, and uh, that, that when you first encountered me, you thought I was a bit of a goober. Not the exact turn of phrase you used. <laughs> yes, but you managed to. Uh, worm your way back into my book of respect which is doesn't actually contain that many people it's not really a book isn't it? it's one single sheet of a5 paper uh, i thought it was exactly. like a like a postcard it's uh, yeah it's a great it's, it's a, a great, post-it it's, note it's 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 a great accolade and i should just, just a micro dot <laughs> i should just complete the uh the scene we are in a this hotel feels quite soviet era doesn't it it's quite it's quite nice but it's quite sort of faded faded glamour faded, faded glamour but it has been a fairly noisy experience it's been awful hasn't uh, it yeah. i mean like the I'm, I'm sure the hotel would be perfectly pleasant were it not overrun with thousands, it, well, it feels like thousands of youth sporting people. We're it's not entirely athletes, sure yeah. what they're actually doing, but there's some kind of games, isn't it? It's an international yeah. competition. Or international youth games of some ilk, but they appear not to actually be doing sporty stuff. Actually, I tell a lie. Today, apparently, there were, the, the reason that we all had a peaceful sleep last night and it was utter silencio when we got in was that they actually had something to do today, whereas previous nights, um, the, the only sporting events I've witnessed have been um, corridor football. Um, we've, we've had a few sort of podium finishers in the banging on random people's doors at three in the morning. I, I would like to know who won the gold medal in phoning me up at half three in the morning. They managed to get me twice before I disconnected the phone. That's quite uh, one, at, one at half three and one at about quarter My favourite one that I've seen so far is one of them sneaking a do not disturb sign onto the outside of Ed's door. So his, <laughs> his room hasn't been made up all day. And it made him utterly furious. But I actually thought that was quite a good prank, whoever did that. I was very disappointed because we only get one bottle of still water in the minibar, which obviously I get through because, as, as we've discovered earlier in the weekend, I get very irritated with the excessive amount of sparkling water going around. I don't understand the need for water to be sparkling. People can have it if they want, but... Please, still water as well. So you only get one still water bottle, and that will not have been replenished. Fortunately, I'd have bought a few of my own, so uh, I'll survive for those who are concerned. I, I don't mind adding a bit of sparkle to my day with some sparkling water. I can't, fo- I can't follow that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we, won't, we won't have to let you go first when it comes to, to talking about the uh, the race weekend then, Scott. Well, on the subject of the racing, which we probably should talk about a little bit. Well, this is the longest intro I think we've ever done on a post Grand Prix podcast. So <laughs> that's my fault. Yes, so we've uh, we've uh, digressed somewhat. Lewis Hamilton did win the race, but Max Verstappen led the vast majority of it. So, okay, I guess the first thing is the fact that we can, we have now seen. Red Bull and Mercedes really going toe to toe. Hamilton versus Verstappen. So it's it's quite nice to see this battle. We've we've been quite keen to see this sort of fight for victory in a in a race. We saw it a little bit, I guess, in Monaco where Verstappen was pressuring Hamilton, but they weren't quite going real to well. But this this had some uh, this this was a very memorable race, wasn't oh, it? This is proper. It was that it, you're right. It's that fight we've been waiting for. Lewis even mentioned after the race. It's the battle 
everybody's been talking about the last two or three races has been, uh, well, you know, Lewis and Max, what could they do? You know, Lewis has been faced with questions, I think, two or three Grand Prix now about, would you have Max as your teammate? What would it be like if you were in the same car? We really want to see it happen. And as Lewis pointed out after the race, we actually had that today for the first time. Actually, it was a, it was a really, really intense fight. It, it was similar to, um, it was very similar to, to Monaco. Um, I thought it was actually closer to um to Canada Vettel versus Hamilton obviously um it ended in a slightly different manner to to what happened in Montreal but the this is one of those races that I found Germany was amazing and I watched that I watched that from home I got to see it as a as a TV punter and it was brilliant entertainment but it wasn't a like a pure authentic race. Germany was a madness race, which is which is great fun, but it was just a it was a load of stuff happening. Yeah, it was rather, serial rug pulling, yeah, wasn't ra- it? rather than a conventional race. Exactly, and but in this, okay, sure, there wasn't a massive amount of overtaking, but we saw Hamilton and Verstappen, whichever one you think is the best driver in F1 at the moment, they are the two form drivers in F1 at the moment, probably the two quickest on the grid, most reliable on the grid right now. Actually, not not just racing hunting each other down going wheel to wheel and yeah yeah maybe maybe take lewis at his word maybe he gave max a bit more room than he would have done if they were actually fighting for the title he claims that because of the point situation he felt that when they went wheel to wheel we could afford to be slightly less aggressive but i don't think that dampened the spectacle i thought it was a it was, it was a mega race either of them would have been worthy winners as it was Hamilton somehow managed to execute a strategy that he really wasn't a fan of and that Mercedes had even ruled out before the race had started. There's an awful lot of bleating on the radio about tyres, which initially seemed sort of quite dispiriting. And then that, you know, the, the random two-stop strategy kind of crept up on us, didn't it? But there was there was that yawning gulf of space behind because we had no Bottas, no Gasly, the Ferraris, you know, they, they were sort of, 20, 40 seconds down the road by that point. So they were irrelevant to the outcome. Well, let's uh, just just wind back to qualifying. Max Verstappen finally got his first pole. I think this was the 93rd attempt. It's amazing it's taken him that long. He's the 100th driver to get a pole position in World Championship history. So there we go. That's a, that's a landmark uh, for, for, for F1. I think maybe we were slightly deceived by qualifying because I think probably the Mercedes, even in qualifying trim, did maybe have a slight advantage. Bottas almost beat Verstappen to pole. He lost. It was it was turn twelve. The right hander in the in the last sector where he lost a lot of time. They lost a tiny bit. Got more a bit in, of twitch, didn't he? In, in looked 13, at the yeah, but he was he was ahead up to that point. And so we had Verstappen, Bottas, Hamilton, the top three on the grid with Ferrari just not quite there, struggling uh, a, a little bit. But I think we all kind of thought, well, if Verstappen's been able to qualify in pole, he should be able to win the race because normally they're stronger in in race trim. But that wasn't quite how it how it panned out. How do you see qualifying colours? The qualifying thing, I kind of thought that Mercedes did leave a few things on the table, which is is quite unusual for them. I don't know whether it was because we'd had that kind of limited running on the Friday, and certainly there were a few questions in the press conference today from people saying, um, do, you, "Do you reckon it would actually make the racing a bit more interesting if we?" curtailed Friday running and then you have less data to work well, for but yes then. yes and actually throwing forward to the race it was the, the relative relative lack of tyre data that made it harder to judge what they were doing they were going in more blind yeah and Verstappen said I'd love the challenge of uh, racing on tyres that I've either only tried once or, or not tried at all so that's that's maybe one for the future I, I suppose the most disappointing thing about qualifying was that Ferrari were 
kind of pretty much half a second off. And then in the race, they just disappeared off backwards, which made it a bit of a two horse race. So it was a bit of a bit weird and a bit of an outlier. I suppose you could say that the, the weirdest thing about the whole thing was that if Lewis's teammate had been in and around, he might not have been able to execute that strategy. Well, that's very, very true. Ferrari, we can, I guess I'll take off Scott. Obviously, you spoke to the guys at Ferrari quite a bit this weekend. What what do you put down Ferrari's relative lack of of pace to? Obviously, they they finished over a minute down in the in the race. They were never really uh, a threat. And then, if you look at the the qualifying times, yeah, your Leclerc was the fastest. He was a couple of tenths down, and then Vettel a little bit further back. So they weren't quite at the races. Well, ultimately, Ferrari's main weakness is certainly not their only one. You've only got to look at the operational errors they've made this season. Their main weakness is uh, peak downforce, maximum downforce. And at a circuit like the Hungaro ring, everyone piles on big amounts of, uh, of downforce. They're looking for absolutely everything. So that's where the, the gap is, is most exaggerated to, to Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, Mattia Bonotto explained after the race that this is mitigated somewhat in qualifying because you've got the, the you, you're using the softest tyres, you're getting the absolute peak of the tyre. So the grip, the mechanical grip that the that 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 the car then then has from 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 that side of things helps to not it won't ever outweigh completely an aerodynamic deficit, but it sort of masks a little bit just how much it's lacking. And then conversely, in race trim, that is exacerbated because you're doing it over the course of a stint. So the overall peak of the tire, the performance of the tire isn't quite as good. Relying on the, the 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 car's aero for more performance, so there's already a bit of a weakness there. The car's aero isn't as good, so the car's moving around more, sliding more, so that builds up a little bit of surface temperature in the tire. The tires get harder to manage, and it just becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of negativity, effectively, and it just snowballs. And I I asked uh, I asked the drivers after the race um, because Verstappen and and Hamilton were going so hell for leather at the front, it was awesome, but it was such an intense fight. I I thought and I, I still think actually to a point to a degree that that the intensity the ferocity of that fight in front I think that's the reason the gap was so big and I, and the Ferrari drivers disagree they think that that they were pushing as hard as possible trying to run their own race as flat out as they could but even at a circuit that doesn't favor them I don't think that that car's a minute behind in if you're but if if all three of them run an, a, a normal race shall we say I don't think the Ferrari ends up a minute behind I just think that especially once Hamilton switched to the the two stop strategy and he was going for it for the end and Max couldn't relent and had to use all of his tires and then more because ultimately his tires were dead he uh, that's how how he put it by the end of the race I I just think that that meant that there was absolutely no no stone unturned in terms of the race time for the, for the lead two, and and I think that that I think even if it was only a small amount, maybe it was only a handful of seconds. Ultimately, a handful of seconds doesn't matter when you're a minute behind, which is a which is pretty damning. And Ferrari going to go away now. I think they're going to be really relieved to have the the summer break. Bonotto says as well. The way he put it was, Ferrari have basically expelled a lot of energy this season at Maranello at the at the track. They realised really early on that they were behind where they needed to be. So they've been working extra hard to try to catch up. They haven't caught up. They've made loads of errors, missed a lot of opportunities. It's a, It can't be that fun. It, it must be, the positivity must have been gradually sucked out of this team. 
and now you're going into the summer break. I think one week at Marinello now, try and work through as much as they can before the shutdown, and then just enjoy the shutdown. Two weeks of recharging your batteries. Ferrari have got to come out swinging. They're not gonna. They've got nothing left to fight for, apart from seeing off Red Bull for second in the constructors' championship, which should be relatively easy if Pierre Gasly doesn't massively transform his pace and fortunes. But you, they've got to save face. They, they, it's a, it's ridiculous that we're going into the summer with Ferrari winless and. Rather than go in on a high and like, yeah, come on, let's uh, let's 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 come out fighting the other side, they're going in with what probably turned their worst performance of the season. Yeah, and you would not have put money on that pre-season when the Ferrari looked like the stronger package for most of testing, and uh, you know, even even our sage, technically experienced pundits were saying this this is the package. Uh, and it just seems like the, the whole concept is fundamentally flawed, isn't it? And even Mattia Bonotto has kind of conceded that actually it probably is. So you 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 find yourself wondering if uh, while they're sitting on the beach uh, in the two week shutdown, some of the senior heads are going to think, well, you know, okay, we need to save a little bit of face, but maybe we need to start ramping up our efforts for 2020 early and maybe just kind of consign this car to the memory hole. Well, they can't do that because the, what they learned from this year's car is going to feed into the 2020 car. They're at, they're trying to add more and more maximum downforce. Basically, what it's, it's, it's obviously complicated and as Bonotto says, the, the, the aero package isn't the only thing that's holding Ferrari back compared to Mercedes and they don't want to use the gap that they've got to Mercedes right now as the only target. But... The, the ultimate goal for the 2020 car will be a car that, that has much greater maximum downforce, but you can't just park a design now and then say, right, and now for this year's for next year's car, we're adding X percent of downforce because it's not that easy. If it was, Williams wouldn't have started the season four seconds off the pace. So I think what Ferrari has realised it needs to do is work through a couple of problems why certain things on the car didn't work as expected this year, why certain developments haven't worked as expected, as expected and now I think they've got on top of that so now they're trying to bring through upgrades add that downforce make it a gradual progress uh, process because the the rules are stable for next year so there will be an evolution it would I think they're wary of um, trying to turn it upside down in the pursuit of, of performance ultimately they could have won five races out of the, the 12 that have been held which would have been perfectly respectable score yeah that's the operational side isn't it that's that's let them down not even to have got one is uh is, is unfortunate although they will have spa to look forward to the belgian grand prix after the august break and that that on paper is a track that could work reasonably well for ferrari so that'll be one they've they've got circled it was it was interesting watching alfa romeo evaluate their uh, Monza stroke spa spec rear wing for for their installation laps at the Hungaro ring because it kind of looks very sort of svelte and sophisticated and curvaceous, especially when Garland in the Flovis paint. And then instantly, um, I think it was Raikkonen that, that just, just ran it so that they could smear it with Flovis paint, do one lap, take it off again. And they put the uh, Hungaro ring wing on it. basically looked like a barn door. It was just square and flat. Yeah, huge, huge difference in terms of that trim. So that's good news for, for Ferrari. Well, let's, let's look at the race itself. Now, Valtteri Bottas, as we mentioned, obviously removed himself from, from the reckoning quite early on. Obviously, he had second place on the grid, so he was thinking, oh, well, I'm ahead of Lewis. 
obviously Hamilton hadn't qualified brilliant. I'm not sure. I think they were struggling a little bit with getting the on both cars actually to get the tyres really well set for the, for the full qualifying lap. And in fact, actually, I think that's one of the reasons Verstappen was so strong in the last sector. That sort of little bit of understeer in the first part of the lap, and then he had the grip there at the, at the end. I think Bottas struggled a bit, and Hamilton looked like he was driving slightly within himself but there's a lot of time to lose in that last sector isn't huge there? amount yeah, it's so fiddly you're constantly constantly turning but that meant Bottas knew the start was his opportunity Verstappen didn't make a brilliant getaway okay but not brilliant moved across to the right in front of Bottas Bottas kind of went to the left of him to the outside so Bottas on the sort of middle line heading down towards the first corner Verstappen on his right Hamilton bearing down on the left and obviously Bottas has a lock up and then that kind of starts 30 seconds that ruins his weekend, doesn't it? It, it? it was quite unusual because you you think of Valtteri Bottas as not the most punchy and combative driver when it gets to the wheel-to-wheel stuff. So in some ways it was heartening to see him get his elbows out of that first corner. It was just unfortunate that one of his elbows hit his own teammate. So they had a little bit of a biff. He snatched it. Was it front left or front right? He, he, he snatched a break, had a bit of a lock-up. Had a little bit of a tap with Lewis, but Lewis was able to get sort of set up a little bit of a run on him into turn two where Valtteri locked up again and then they were sort of side by side into turn three. Squeezed at the exit. Uh, And and, and Lewis kind of didn't really leave him a lot of room in turn three and that compromised him out of there. And turn turn three, it was very much Hamilton saying that this is right, this is my corner, you're on the outside this time. And it's, it's kind of worth drilling down into why race control didn't take any action in the the, the little impact between Leclerc and uh, and Bottas, because although it kind of looked like Leclerc had sort of swerved over on him a little bit too early, uh, there was a ton of bit of a right hand steering movement from Bottas, which was a bit weird, wasn't well, it? Well, it was interesting. I uh, asked Bottas after the race about about that with Leclerc and. Sort of well, even though they're being a bit more laissez-faire with incidents, do you think that should have been punished? And Bottas said, "Yeah, he felt it was unnecessary. Having watched it, shouldn't have happened, etc." But it, it was really interesting because during the race live, I thought it was all the clerk moving over, and then I heard that Michael Massey, our, co- our colleague Jonathan Noble, heard from him. And Michael Massey had said that the overhead angle had showed something a little bit different. And I thought, "Well, that, that doesn't sound right." So I went back to have a look at it, and actually, if you watch the overhead, the uh, shot. Leclerc does move over to the left towards Bottas, but he's, he moves over to the left and then sort of stops coming across, and there's still room for Bottas. And as that's happening, Bottas just drifts to the right a little bit. You can see from the gap between his car and the side of the track gr- grows a little bit in that phase, and that's what causes the, the impact, which actually did surprise me. So I think, funnily enough, race control, I think, called this right. I was actually, at the time, I, I thought it was... It was incorrect, so probably a good, a good call there. But ultimately, it meant that uh, Bottas had some had some wing damage, which led to him. Well, actually, I say it led to him putting. Obviously, he slipped back to fifth place. He was keeping ahead of the midfielders, but struggling for pace. But actually, the, the biggest concern there wasn't actually the wing; it was the fact that the, the flat spot that he picked up at turn one and the vibration, which was adding to the damage to the that was just put, yeah. putting that, more that would, the as, as, a, as a former colleague of ours uh, would no doubt have put it, that would have exasperated the problem. <laughs> exactly. So that's why Bottas then pitted, dropped to the back, and then he was on a effectively he was on a two-stop strategy coming back through to finish eighth. So that's Bottas out of the way. The Ferraris we've already talked about, they're not quick enough. Uh, Leclerc was running ahead of Vettel. They were running in uh, third and fourth at that point. Pierre Gasly in the second Red Bull is not very quick this weekend. He was uh, just over eight tenths behind Verstappen. So he then makes a slow start, drops behind both McLarens and Raikkonen. So 
Gasly's out of that lead picture. So it's just these two, Verstappen leading Hamilton. And in this phase, Scott, we saw Verstappen leading, but it, it, in that first stint, Hamilton never, there was a period of from about lap two till about lap 16, where Verstappen's lead was between about 2.1 and 2.5 seconds. And Hamilton was just there. And uh, from the radio communication, you got the impression he could just close up whenever he needed to. Yeah, there was, it was just as, just as Hamilton was starting to get on terms with Verstappen. I think he just entered DRS range when Verstappen finally pit. Um, well, they, I think they, cause I, I think they closed him up. They wanted him to close up at that point because Verstappen pitted the first moment he got a clear window back to the Ferraris because they were terrified of, them, of Hamilton undercutting. Yeah, and, and Max was reporting for quite a few laps before that that he was really starting to struggle with the tyres. Um, so that then triggered that moment where Mercedes basically says, right, we're not going to jump him here, so let's extend for a little bit. And you and I had the conversation and thought that, that that's, those six laps weren't really going to make much of a difference. And then when Lewis rejoined 5.8 seconds behind, we thought, mm, well, he's not really traded much of a tyre offset for the six seconds he's now behind Max. He's five seconds further back than he was. Mm, has Mercedes played this right? And then within like four laps, I think, Lewis is back on Max's gearbox because he was a second, second and a half, two seconds a lap quicker. And then that starts that bit of cat and mouse where they're on the same strategy. It looks like this is the fight to the end. And Max did a really, really good job to repel the first Hamilton attack because Hamilton was just, not sure, a bit naive into turn two the first time. That was when he ran really deep and just about stopped himself flying off yeah, onto the himself, runoff. Hung himself out to dry and lost a bit but of time. That lost, it lost him a bit of time. It lost him momentum. I think it lost him the peak of the tyre as well because it sort of stabilised for a bit. But then he comes back at him again and that's when it got really tasty, and that that was that was that the first time because I know in Austin last year when you had that amazing finish, you had the convergence between Räikkönen and Verstappen and Hamilton. You sort of had a half-hearted attempt from Hamilton, I think, to attack Verstappen. But at that point, Hamilton's on the brink of wrapping up the title. Doesn't want to do anything stupid. Blah blah blah. Felt like that. What we saw today was the first authentic, proper will-to-will fight. And it was Verstappen who came out on top. Yeah, it did have that there to it. In fact, Verstappen was held up by Ricardo a little bit, his old his old teammate, interestingly. And then it was as uh, Ricardo sort of stayed on the racing line on the left into turn one. And then Verstappen was sort of bearing down on him to pull to the right of him. And Hamilton was closing as well. And they sort of fanned out into it. So that just created that great battle where they were racing all the way to turn four. It was amazing that it actually came about because when when you look back at the circumstances of his pit stop, he came out straight uh, behind the battle for, what was it, 17th place? We had Giovinazzi, Russell, and um, I think it was Stroll involved there. It, there. There was definitely a three-car train he had to get past. So you, you kind of thought, bloody hell, they were in a panic if they if they pitted him there because they must have known he'd come out behind behind that sort of three-car train and would have to work his way through them. So to pass them so quickly and then to actually lap quicker, because I, I remember then thinking, well, you know, it's it's hammer time. So how are Lewis's lap times 
comparing with Max's. And would you believe it, Max was actually faster just as we were in the middle of hammer time. And that's how, you know, they they, they managed to come out with, with, with Max ahead of, of Lewis by quite some margin. So it, it was weird that that came about. And then, as you say, and as Max said after the race, they always seem to have a little bit of margin when they really need it, so they can turn up the wick and and go for it. But they didn't have any margin when it came to act, when when they were on the same strategy, because ultimately Max was able to withstand everything that Lewis threw him. That that is, that I think Mercedes probably had a, a small pace advantage, but not not a decisive one, and yeah. not enough, and certainly not enough to overcome the brake concerns that they had. Yeah, which yeah they wear, said they were managing a brake a brake temp. Was it brake temperature no, it was or wear at the back? Wear, yeah. right, it was wear rather than temp, which is why it was so difficult for them to manage. Because if it's if it's temperature, you can sort of okay, maybe drop back a little bit, or or you know you need to try and find pockets of of cooler air rather than sit behind him. But Toto Wolf, the the Mercedes team boss, said after the race, asked him sort of. At what point did you make that decision? And he basically said, "Well, it was it was that or settle for second because we were never gonna, or we were unlikely to be able to run in, in that state to the end of the Grand Prix on a one stop." So they, I think they had this sort of spell between. I think it was lap. I think he said it was lap forty and forty seven, where the strategy team were basically right. Can we switch to a two stop, and does it work? And then at the end of that. Uh, period James Vowles the strategy head it's his responsibility to make the call he makes the call committing to a two stop and there as I think you've quite eloquently put it Ed uh, checkmated Verstappen and Red Bull well, yeah well, I the said, much maligned James yeah. Vowles well fun, funnily enough what I said to you when they did it I said they've they've done it they've Red Bull they've basically checkmated Red Bull here um, Red Bull in fairness didn't do anything wrong there wasn't anything they could do but basically, on lap, on lap 47, I think it's the lap before Hamilton pits, which is coming around turn 13, he's told to close up to Verstappen. So that's when basically they've committed to it. So Hamilton, they haven't told him what he's going to do, but they've told him to close up. And then just as he's coming around, I think turn 12 on the next lap, he's told to, but he's told, well, he's given a box opposite Verstappen. So that's just in case Verstappen tried to, because Red Bull could theoretically had Mercedes pitted and they managed to get Verstappen into the pit lane at the same time. They could have covered it. But if Verstappen pulls into the pits, Hamilton would always stay out. So that was kind of the one move Red Bull had, but it's pathetically easy to counter. So it wasn't really a viable move. So they put him in. It's amazing because Hamilton, as he's driving up, as he's going up the, the, the pit lane after the stop, said on the radio, uh, that last set was feeling quite good. I don't think he wasn't very happy about stopping. Then they said, right, outlap critical, get on with it. So he does it. He does a good outlap just to make sure that Verstappen can't pit the next time round. And of course, with the power of the undercut, there was never any chance of that. But then on the next lap round, he, he said, did, "Have we done the right? Have we done made the right strategy here?" He did a lot of quibbling, didn't and then he, he did say, "Actually, then he said, yeah, that's a we made a bad call here." But the really funny thing was, you had Hamilton on the radio going, yeah, this is wrong. We got this wrong. And you have Verstappen on the radio saying, this is wrong. Why didn't we pit? Yeah. <laughs> so you had both of them thought they'd lost the race. But the problem was that, that Hamilton didn't necessarily have the faith in uh, having enough pace to make up 20 seconds okay. in 20 laps. And Verstappen was massively doubtful that he could keep his tyres alive for 20 laps at the pace he would need to keep Hamilton at bay. And there was a brief spell, wasn't there, sort of between, I think, maybe lap... With maybe like 15, 16 laps to go and 12 laps to go, where it looked like actually 
Verstappen might just about have enough in it, and and Lewis wasn't quite quick enough on that set. Well, it was it was interesting because yeah. when he came out of the when he came out of the pits, Mercedes were quite confident that Hamilton would get would catch him and pass. The forecast him. And then, changed, didn't it? Exactly. Because so, they turned Max's PU up. Exactly. So you see on that. On lap 49, the gap's 19.2 seconds, then it's 18.1, then it's 17.5, and then lap 52 ends 16 seconds down. And then Hamilton get, completes the next lap, and it's, the gap's identical, and it comes down to 15 points. So there's a five-lap period where Hamilton is just over two-tenths a lap faster than Verstappen. And at that point, the rate, basically, the, the sort of, obviously there's all simulations going on about I mean, the, the sort of prediction said, oh, no, you're not going to catch him. But basically what Red Bull had done, I think this was probably the best approach they could take, was Verstappen went quite aggressive at that point to try and hold the gap as much as possible and mitigate the time loss. Um, but ultimately the tyres were, were were just not going to stand up. And then you, So he gets to lap 57 and the gap's still only 14.7, but then it starts tumbling down. It's 13.4, 12.2, 10.9, 9.3, 7.8, and just Hamilton cruises up on him and then four laps to go. Well, it was, six, was, it. It was like six laps to go. The gap's five seconds still or something like that. And, and Max says tyres are dead. Yeah, and within two laps, or I think it's within two laps, the gap goes from something like five seconds to DRS range. And well, there's there's laps where he's taking the last few laps of the chase, he's taking two point two, two point exactly, three a lap exactly. out of him, and, and then once he does get to Verstappen, obviously you know forget the DRS, Verstappen can't break anywhere near as near as aggressively, so he moves to the right to defend. Hamilton just sweeps. I say it's half hearted. I mean, he did what he was committed to what he needed to do, but Hamilton drives around, drives around him basically. But you know they didn't hit. Uh, one another and you have to admire Lewis's persistence haven't you because if he hadn't carried on applying that pressure Max would have been able to sort of back off and nurse his tyres a bit and get them to the end because during during that phase where they were kind of matching each other stroke for stroke and I even I'd kind of lost faith in Lewis's ability to to eat up the gap so I'd scroll down uh, my timesheet and we're starting to try to catch up with a few of the the drivers who I've been you know not paying attention to while my eye had been caught by the Hamilton Verstappen battle and then all of a sudden before I knew it I'd look back and he, he was catching him up and Ferrari were nearly a minute behind it was it was literally I can't, oh so this is what's been happening while I've been looking away for literally two <laughs> minutes I know that I know that people don't like it when Hamilton's complaining about his tyres over the radio and stuff, but part of me thinks it's a little bit of a coping mechanism. I think it's a little bit of Lewis needs to be able to to, to vent his concerns and frustrations and what he's physically feeling in the car because he doesn't have the data. And it's kind of like, oh, well, this doesn't feel like something that's going to work. And I can understand why that's the case. And it's plus, plus there's the old thing of if you don't give feedback... And then something goes wrong, and they say, "Well, why didn't you tell us?" Exactly. So, I mean, I'm, and it is, it is fairly regular we hear it. But to be honest, all drivers do it. It's just we hear the front runners. And, and his more. faith was shaken last week as well in the team's, you know, the all aspects of the team's competence from but, strategy to ever, to the operations. Well, I think what I think is really good is the fact because I think that, that strategy call from Mercedes was perfect on the on the second start, absolutely perfect. You know, they could have. You know, James Vales, who's been maligned at times, you know, they've done very well at other times. He could easily have taken the safe option and not exposed himself. And then Hamilton would have followed Verstappen around and said, well, he was never able to get a trap position, Hungary, et cetera, et cetera. Did all you could. But he was willing to take that. And even though that was the point where the race was won and it certainly looked like a great move, it still requires something just to say, no, 
that's my call. I'm going to make it go. And that says it says a lot about the the quality of the team. And, and as for Red Bull, you can't really. I don't think there's anything you can criticise Red Bull on strategically because I don't. I don't think there was a move that that would make any difference for them. The the, the failing within Red Bull during this Grand Prix it was nothing to do with the. The people on the pit wall, it was nothing to do with the people that produced the car. It was nothing to do with the lead car out front. It was the complete absence of the second car. Yeah, Pierre Gasly. Yeah, had, Gasly business. Well, had Gasly been sat in third in Hamilton's pit stop window, yeah. it doesn't 100% close off that strategy, but it would have it would have made it a huge risk. All he would have needed, even if it, he... It just needed Gasly to be a nuisance for a few laps. Exactly. Even if it doesn't deter them from trying that strategy, which is obviously the ideal... The ideal situation for Red Bull is they've got a car there that is close enough so that it's a question mark whether Lewis would even regain second let alone win but all he would need to do is be in a position where he could hold up the Mercedes for a couple of laps if he'd bought Verstappen a couple more laps maybe Verstappen doesn't need to go as aggressively on the tyres so not only does Lewis catch him later he also catches him when Max has got slightly better tyre life left. Maybe it's it's not quite a foregone conclusion then. But the problem, and, and, and I, I genuinely think that this is the first time this year that, that, that Gasly has cost Red Bull something tangible. We've known for a long time, since four or five races in, that he's probably going to cost Red Bull second in the Constructors' Championship this year. Unless he went on a sort of Verstappen-like run from last year, it, the signs were there that, that Pierre's just not going to be at, at that level. He's not going to be fighting for wins and podiums. But the signs over the last three races are, okay, well, maybe you're going to be a good understudy. Maybe you will be the deputy that Verstappen and Red Bull need you to be. And he was and he was nowhere to be seen today. Well, um, it, it's, he's, he's Just looking at the championship points, he's got five points more than Carlos Sainz. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's not good. And... You you have to ask yourself: Have they promoted him too soon? Which obviously is is a, a, a systemic Red Bull problem. They've emptied the tank too quickly of of their young driver scheme. Maybe you need another year because he's got potential. There's ability there. There's pace. Last year he was maybe a bit erratic, but there were some weekends where he was seriously quick, and we've just, we've just not seen that. I mean, I think. This weekend will be a particular blow for him because, you know, he's he's in a tough situation. I say it's his second full season. He's up against Max Verstappen, who's a fantastic driver. One of the, I think most people would, would put him as one of the best two in Formula One currently. And many would argue uh, that he's number one. So it's a tough job, but it's just that lack of, it's just the lack of progress. We did see Silverstone was quite a good weekend. Hockenheim didn't go well. But there were positives at Hockenheim. For example, he qualified really close to Verstappen when that lap was disallowed, running slightly wide at the last corner. But that that didn't gain him the time that got him close. So he thought, actually, that's that's pretty good. Race didn't go perfectly, but you're looking for these improvements. And then he went to and then Hungaroring just just no way. He complained about the tyres, etc., saying couldn't get them get them working in uh, in qualifying and then in the race obviously made a bad start fell behind the McLarens got passed by Raikkonen he came back through to six in the end but still behind Sainz and obviously he was helped by Norris having a slow pit stop in the other McLaren because Norris was right up there so it, he's he's unfortunately turning a car that's contending for race victories into too often midfield for I, I thought he'd just broken clear of being that being caught up in the midfield well the problem he's got is that 
even at the moment where Bottas has slipped back massively from from Hamilton in the last couple of races, Bottas still has roughly a, around what eighty percent of Hamilton's points tally. Verstappen, uh, Vettel, and Leclerc. I think Leclerc's pushing like eighty five, ninety percent of Vettel's points tally. And I think Gasly's got a third of Verstappen's points. Yeah, sixty-three versus one eight one. So yeah, it's off. That is abysmal. That is so, that's so so bad. And I know that there have been some mitigating circumstances. He drove really well in Baku, and he had the problem there, which 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 did which. When you look at how many points he's got at the moment, cost him actually what would have been quite a big chunk of percentage-wise of his, of his own points tally. But going back to what Codder said, he, he, yeah, Gasly was promoted too soon. Rebel didn't want to put him in the car for this year. They wanted to have Verstappen and Ricardo in the car this year. Yeah. They promoted Gasly because they didn't have. Well, they did have a choice because obviously they could have gone for they could have gone for signs. But they'd obviously made the decision that he was no longer going to be part of the oh, Red yeah, I think family. The, I think the way he, made, he forced his lone move to Renault made them decide that. And the fact that he doesn't have a very, he didn't have a very productive relationship with Verstappen inside Toro Rosso, even though personally they get on they actually on, yeah, quite yeah. well. But it just professionally that that doesn't gel, and oh. I suspect there's an element of the old racing dad uh, rivalry there as well with <laughs> Carlos Senior and, and and Jos. But this was meant to be a, a free year for for Gasly at Red Bull. It was meant to be okay, no pressure. We know we've promoted you a year too a year too soon. We're going to be with uh, with Honda, so the expectations aren't as high because it's going to be a learning year. But the the quality of the package as a whole, Red Bull and Honda. And the, the 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 brilliance that that Verstappen has shown on occasion has it, it's it's changed the expectations. It's changed the context of Gasly's first season at Red Bull entirely. It's become a much more intense pressure cooker. And at the moment, the the free season is looks like it's turn. At the moment, it looks like it's going to be his only season. Yeah, the ground rules have changed, haven't they? The, the only chance he's got is he comes back after the break, has a proper reset hits the ground running for a few races. I, I still do. It, it, I still think he'll be there at the end of the season because they they don't really want to make changes. So he, well, they can't has, promote Dan Tictum, can they? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's been removed from the from the scheme recently. Unfortunately, quality driver and former guest on this podcast, indeed, and hopefully future guest as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's really it is really really hard for Gasly. He has ability. I'd like to see him getting it together, but he just seems lost at the moment. So. Come back, regroup. Hopefully, be able to uh, be able to do something. It's interesting, isn't it? That you know, you 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 do get certain drivers who have talent, but very often get partnered too soon in their careers with other drivers who are that kind of once in a generation genius or someone who's at their peak. And someone else who had that happen to them was Max Verstappen's dad uh, with Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher destroyed so many careers just through being uh, a a once-in-a-generation talent and also being in a team that was built around him in the same way that Red Bull Racing is now built around Max Verstappen. Yeah, it's a tough gig. All all he can do, yeah, try and salvage something in the the upcoming races. Well, I'd have to have a brief break because I would like to tell you about something from our colleagues from, uh, from Motorsport Live. Now, the Italian Grand Prix is coming up. Everyone likes going to the Italian Grand Prix. Obviously, the Monza Circuit, classic. Oh, whispering trees. Oh, yes, whispering trees is always a good cliche. But Parabolica, the Lesmos. You know, the the first time I actually saw the Monza Circuit with my own eyes was 
from behind the wheel of a Ferrari 360 race car on my outlap in free practice oh, in a Ferrari Challenge. Flag. It was, uh, but it was, it's really, uh, yeah, really special to have seen it. But yeah, Monza is a, it's a fantastic place. So a famous circuit, the Temple of Speed as it's known. It's a must-see venue. I mean, the Italian Grand Prix is the perfect thing to go to. Any Formula 1 fan, if you've got the chance to go there, go there. It's got so much history. It's been on the World Championship calendar forever, basically. You can still see the old podium. and It's just the whole feel of the place, isn't it? It's just absolutely fantastic. The old banking essential pilgrimage. Exactly, exactly. And so 6th to the 8th of September is the Italian Grand Prix, and obviously the Tifosi will be heading down there. So we're offering the chance with Motorsport Live to experience the, the Grand Prix from the Alfa Romeo Racing Grandstand at the famous Parabolica. That's a Parabolica. I think is one of the best corners on the calendar, actually, because because it's it's quick but not super quick. Tricky exit speed's important. It's very very easy to get a bit, to just overcommit and just carry a bit too much speed in. So that's a that's a cracking place. Scene of one of my favourite uh, moments in motor racing, which is Derek Warwick ending up putting his Lotus on its roof jogging back to the pits getting into the spare car and restarting the race <laughs> i had a good moment at parabolica when on the first lap of that said ferrari challenge race uh going into into scari that the s's before i went a bit deep because the brakes weren't warmed up and i thought oh yeah the, the brakes yeah the brakes aren't warmed up so just just bear that in mind and by the time i got to the parabolica i'd completely forgotten this got on the brakes and thought oh dear this is and that that was one of those full ones where you have to take a lot of action to make sure you don't end up in the gravel so sort of go deep and then just hope it turns parabolicus brilliantly but yeah anyway back to my sport live in the italian grand prix it's a great place to to go and then as part of this you can get a three-day pass 199 euros it's a very very special deal for podcast listeners this one we've we've called it be part of alfa romeo racing because it's a great chance you will actually be part of the the whole experience loads of alfa romeo fans there cheering on Kimi Räikkönen and Antonio Giovinazzi. You'll also get a special Alfa Romeo racing t-shirt, cap, a flag, and also a, a lanyard for your tickets. So, you know, if, you, if, if that takes your fancy, and I think any racing fan would love the, the, the chance to, to, to do that, before we sell out, head to bepartofalfaromeoracing.com. That's bepartofalfaromeoracing.com. No dots or, or hyphens in that, just uh, type that in. And we'll put a link in the show notes as well. But that's offered by Motorsport Live, so a great way to experience the Italian Grand Prix. Now let's let's get back to the to, to the race. I think we've kind of covered the uh, the, the the front running uh, business. So let's go to the area where indeed Alfa Romeo do inhabit. It was a very successful, well, pretty successful weekend for McLaren. You would say first and second in class, if you like, in qualifying. Carlos Sainz finished fifth, and Lando Norris unfortunately finished ninth. They should probably have finished fifth stop. and sixth, shouldn't they? Yeah, it's a slow stop for for Norris. Uh, cost him uh, positions to Gasly and Raikkonen, and obviously Bottas came through as well. But the fact that Norris was was right with Sainz, and Sainz managed to keep uh, keep the rest behind him. So yeah, he, he'd been very possibly on for on for six. So Raikkonen did another one of his patented sleeper races where you were barely aware that he was there, and yet uh, a, a great points paying position eventuated. Well, as we said before, Raikkonen's just brilliant for for that team because he's he's utterly dependable, executes races well, just just consistently performing at a good level, and I think he's probably able to make that car look a bit more of a consistent decent points car than perhaps it is because he's just always there we've got um i think we've got to recognize the fact that signs has now finished fifth two races in a row which obviously yeah germany was was manic and yeah should have been a red bull and a mercedes ahead of him 
today, but I think we touched on this before. Um, if Fernando Alonso was in that McLaren, he'd probably be nipping at uh, nipping at the heels of Pierre Gasly in the championship, given Gasly's tugging a little bit in the second Red Bull. And he'd be banking, you know, fifth and sixth place finishes and races wherever he can, and a comfortable best of the rest in the championship and spearheading McLaren's charge. It's exactly what Sainz is doing. Sainz is, given how badly his McLaren career started, didn't he have back-to-back retirements? Well, the, yeah, the, engine fire in Melbourne, wasn't it? Yeah, he had, and he was having yellow flags in qualifying and kibitzes. Glance the wall. His car, he was in the way on, and Melbourne that was taken out by the the Kvyat incident at the start at, at China. That did for both. Well, it wasn't taken out, but ended up in the in the in the pits. Obviously, yeah, mechanical problem in Bahrain. Didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So well. the first the first three race weekends were, were awful. So it wasn't right off basically. It wasn't even until Baku that he got he got going. And uh, and, and as you and actually, if you look at it. Baku onwards, he's only had one non-score, which is Canada. So he's been consistent. Where, where he his race was ruined early on by was it like a visor strip or something had been had got stuck in a brake duct, so the temperature, the yeah, caliper so. temperature went through the roof. So it wasn't yeah, even that his was fault. Yeah. He's he's he is actually doing. He's doing exactly what you'd expect from Alonso. He's he, he's the experienced hand in that team as well. He's he's qualifying well. He's racing very very well. He's he's one of those drivers that always keeps going in races and doesn't kind of get thrown off. Norris has been quick, um, but not quite as consistent, even though this was an unlucky one. So yeah, science has actually, I think, been one of the drivers of the season. I think I think Norris today, there was a little bit of that, I think Sainz's experience came to the fore again, because Norris, yeah, out-qualified Sainz, but he was running behind him. It wasn't that Norris's slow pit stop cost him fifth. He had fallen behind yeah, Carlos and, start, yeah. and Carlos w- was ahead. So maybe that's following the trend that you might expect now that Norris... Because Norris has taken to, to F1 like a duck to water. He's been absolutely excellent. He's at, He's been the quicker of the two. I, there's no doubt about that. Not by a huge amount, but he has been the quicker of the two. But Carlos is the one doing the business on Sundays. And the, it was just really impressive. As soon as that happened, I remember when... Um, we we heard the radio message that Bottas got after he made his early pit stop, and he was basically told, "Yeah, we think you're going to get back to sixth. And I was like, "Well, we'll see." It wouldn't surprise me because two tier F one sucks in that regard. One of the big guys can have a completely compromised race from the very beginning and still easily come back and finish best like ahead of best of the rest. But actually, but as soon as you got to like the pit stops, I'm thinking, "What the, the McLarens are, are giving this a fair old go." Um, and uh, yes, yeah, just they just did a, a, an excellent job. But as you pointed out, credit to Raikkonen as well for being there. Alfa Romeo have made really, really good progress this season because they 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 they'd really hoped that they'd start the year where they ended twenty eighteen. It didn't quite happen. Took a slight step back in performance, but they've sort of regrouped. The developments that they brought a few races ago have have, have done exactly what they were hoped, which is launch them back into the midfield battle, and. McLaren and Alpha are the ones that are executing it consistently in that midfield, better than Renault, comfortably better than Haas, which is all over the place. I've, I, I think McLaren and Alpha have been being really quite excellent. Actually, yeah, a few this peaks season. and troughs, and uh, but they, it's weird that Alpha do seem to be still trying to learn weird details about their cars. Do you notice they were running an aero rake in the in the airbox in FP1 on at least one of the cars, which 
seems quite unusual, worth finding out about, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting. They'll be very specific for the one they'll be uh, they'll be studying now. I and mean, they've scored points in eight out of twelve races. And also, when you consider that Germany, they did have two cars in the points before the not disqualification, but the the, the thirty second penalty that dropped them both out of the points. So That's penaltification. Exactly, and we we should say you know Giovinazzi. <laughs> former guest on this podcast only got one point he has been quick Giovinazzi but it says a lot about what Raikkonen brings that he's been able just to to bang in these points finishes 31 points to Giovinazzi's one at this at this yeah, stage so it just shows between pace and um, execution isn't it exactly well execution's the the, the the absolute key but also we saw uh, Raikkonen managed to hold off Bottas in the closing stages. He had that the recovering Mercedes behind him. Obviously, last we heard of Bottas, he was last um, and working his way through. He he came back through to eighth behind uh, behind Raikkonen. So he had Sainz fifth, Pierre Gasly sixth, Kimi Raikkonen seventh, Valtteri Bottas eighth. And I think that one of the reasons Bottas didn't get through to a, a better position was he spent a very long time sat behind Dan Ricciardo. Obviously, Ricardo had had a disaster in qualifying, qualified 18th, and he started at the back after engineering change. A very strange in, uh, incident, the, the Ricardo exit in Q1, because he was in the pile of cars that were all starting their lap in the last sector. He was behind Grosjean and Perez, and then going towards the last right-hander, he decided to pull to the left, squeeze past Grosjean, and then tried to go around the outside of Perez, which Perez wasn't having any of, so he carried on and Ricardo had to get out of the throttle and then although actually Ricardo on that lap did do once he got through the first sector he he was quick but he lost too much time to improve so he was knocked yeah. out but Gro- Grosjean in that case in that instance did a Grosjean he just got on the radio and started whining whereas uh, Ricardo actually proactively tried to do something rather than sitting behind well, them both. Well you say that but Ricardo had plenty of time Grosjean backed off did his lap and was fine <laughs> so actually Ricardo did make a misjudgment there. However, what he said he was lacking, he said we could have done it better, he needed more information. He'd been given a time check much earlier in the lap, but actually he had a lot of time, he had a lot more time than he thought, I think. I think it was a combination of the amount of time he had to get to the line and also the tyre temperature. So there's things you can you can do. Sometimes you need to reassure drivers in that situation about, about what you can do. So yeah, Ricardo was down the order and obviously he was trying to make progress. So Bottas spent a little bit too long stuck behind him, I would say, because he, he, he cruised up uh, he was up behind uh, in position after about 14 laps, having passed George Russell, and then he was still there, um, and he didn't pass. Uh, yeah, he picked off the low-hanging fruit, didn't he? And then yeah. he got grounded behind, <coughs> what was it, lap 14, he got past Russell, and then... Lap 32, he got Ricardo finally. Yeah, yeah. So a load of time lost in that period, and then he couldn't get Raikkonen later on, so I think that, that ultimately stopped him stopped him coming through. I do think in Bottas's case, I don't think he's the most incisive overtaker on the grid. That's probably a, a weak spot for him. So ultimately, you're at the Hungara ring. You've dropped to the back. Coming through and getting points is a decent effort. It's quite difficult to to do do much more than that. But he was, as we discussed from that incident, more the architect of his downfall than it actually appeared, certainly than I thought during the race. So yeah, unfortunate for uh, for for Bottas there, but salvaged uh, a couple of points. But yeah, his title hopes are taking a huge blow now. For that, obviously, Nando Norris was ninth. We mentioned Alexander Albon finished tenth. Uh, you know, another good performance for him. Now, he had an incident with Perez, which I still have not seen. Uh, I will be seeing it before doing my driver ah, yes. ratings for Ultimate Yes, because you, you will have access to all the onboards. Yeah, will, Should we have a little study. shout out for Perez? Because I thought that was a quietly impressive race for him today. Um, qualified tail end of the grid, P12 first lap, very incisive first lap. Um, pitted quite early, but was quick enough to 
then remain ahead of the people that he'd leapfrogged in that early phase. And then, you know, he's on course for 10th place from quite an unlikely slot on the grid um, yeah, yeah. before he got kind of biffed out of the way. Well, yeah, we don't, we don't, we can't comment on exactly what happened. I spoke to Perez after. Uh, he felt it was too, too harsh from Albany. He should have been given some kind of penalty. Michael Massey, the race director, said that it was just they were side by side and they made contact. Uh, I'm glad he saw it. We so, didn't. so obviously, Alban had a different uh, different view of it. I mean, I think the fact they let it go probably says perhaps it just was a slightly forceful move. But we, we can't really. Were, go were we looking stage. at a, one at crowd cam at that point? The increasingly ubiquitous crowd cam. Yeah, yeah, very, very possibly been distracted by that. But you know, good for Alban to to pick up a point. Yeah, Perez, a racing point. They didn't really have it hooked up on this circuit, having made the improvements in uh, in Hockenheim. So pretty. Uh, Pretty difficult for them, but good for Alban to pick up uh, another point. Perez said he had some damage at, at the end as well. Shall I get a bucket of ice water to throw over Scott to wake him up? <laughs> he, the thing is, he, he leaps into action when he when he uh, when he has something to say. So uh, I can't believe what time are we doing. Now we're doing a bit earlier than normal, so it's only it's only six minutes to midnight now. So uh, we're doing all right. We've, we we shall wrap up fairly shortish but there are a few other that's obviously we mentioned ricardo's problem hulkenberg was 12th he spent most of the race in a in an engine safe mode that held things back he did hold 10th uh for a big chunk of the uh, for a chunk of the race and then he ran long and then slipped back to uh to, to 12th obviously didn't have much chance with that but renault is a little bit of a i'm not going to say shambles i don't think that's fair but this has been a really disappointing 12 races for for renault this weekend, they had a top 10 car and they contrived to get neither into Q3 and neither into the points. It wasn't massively surprising that Renault, to find out that Renault could have handled the Ricardo situation much better in qualifying. It wasn't, it wasn't really much of a surprise to hear Hulkenberg complaining over the radio that he had a, he had a problem with the car and he was losing power or it wasn't working the way he wanted it he needed it to at the start of the race so it just is it's just never a surprise is it it, it, it has been such a disappointing season they have they haven't even plateaued have they they're getting worse i don't think they've even reached the plateau it's just the the the, the, car, the car's not quick enough the engine's not quick enough or reliable enough it the the, the drivers are doing well but the it's, they're fighting with one one arm tied behind their, their backs. It's it, it's um, I think it's crunch time, yeah. uh, Renault. I think there are I think over the the summer break, I think there is going to be a serious serious amount of thinking going on about what the what they do next. Is it is it a leadership thing? Is it an overall leadership thing? Is it technical management? Do they need to look at the practices on the chassis side, the engine side? Do they question their entire investment? Because a lot of money's gone into this project. Yeah, a billion dollars, as F1 Racing magazine has prognosticated in the yeah. cover feature this month. It's, I mean, what they're trying to do is very, very difficult, but they need to be in fourth place and fairly comfortably. And not behind their customer team, McLaren. McLaren, of course, which was coming from a very low base last year. The the, the thing is that the target this year was for it to be a comfortable fourth place and try and close that gap. The the absolute least Renault needs to be doing this year is achieving its its positional goal, but just doing it in a slightly underwhelming way. Because then at least you can say, okay, well, ultimately Ferrari, Mercedes, and 
and and Red Bull they're not going to stand still they're going to make progress so we've not made that we haven't caught them we wanted to we didn't but at least we moved away from the sort of ragamuffins in midfield because it's a works team it's a proper infrastructure as you said Ed McLaren is much lower base Haas is an independent team as as we've seen this year but really up and down and Alfa Romeo is a a team still sort of in transition because they've had a lot of recruitment over the last 12 months. So Renault should be, you know, it's, it's this is F1. And even though it's split into Class A and Class B, Class B is uber competitive. So it's, you're not going to wipe the floor with anybody, but they should be doing a damn sight better than they're doing at the moment. And I think that's why I that it can't be a comfortable environment inside that team at the moment. That That's all I'll say. And there has been a noted change in attitude from the team over the last few races. It seemed there's... It's closed up a little bit the more. The pressure is on. Yeah, yeah shutters so. have come down a little bit, haven't they? Well, we were saying over a, a beer and a very nice burger uh, last night about how Team Enstone, as was, used to have a reputation as a really, really sharp, racy operation that could really execute and maximise every opportunity. And really, we haven't been seeing that. So you have to wonder if during the, the 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 lotus ownership or the gni capital ownership the they they sort of hemorrhaged a few staff as there was a bit of a brain drain as people left as bills weren't being paid maybe maybe some of the vital people have left that that made it such a sharp operation yeah obviously they had some very very tough times which uh takes a long time to recover from we, we need renault to be doing well they're a big team they should be able to get up there but yeah it's this this season's really not uh not going to plan for them uh, obviously Haas had a ended up with having a pointless weekend Kevin Mangston was 13th Roman Grosjean retired Grosjean I spoke to after the race he was a bit puzzled by how early he was pitted he was running ninth not especially quickly but keeping everyone behind him and then he stopped a bit too early and went onto the hard which he, he wasn't so comfortable on and Magnussen yeah, just just had a fairly Magnuson race. Managed yeah, to annoy mobile Ricardo roadblock at one with point his, with his yeah. defending, and of course we should mention that Magnuson's in the latest spec car. Grosjean is in the Australian Grand Prix spec car from the start of the season, and Grosjean was the one who was in Q3. So uh, there's a lot for us to understand. Yeah, that. basically, it's all, it all comes down to the weather forecast with that team, doesn't it? If it's if it's warm, the Melbourne spec car thrives. Then you sort of go. Uh, the, the, the tiniest cusp, you know, the small transition, it just gets passes a cool temperature threshold, and all of a sudden the new car comes into its own. I think the, the last driver we should mention is George Russell. He finished sixteenth. Now George Russell had a good go at getting into into Q two for the first time. Williams were actually able to go racing. They had a bit of a, certainly in Russell's case, a bit of a light switch moment in terms of understanding tires and making progress for that. Great to see. George Russell able to actually race people and and do so well, particularly in qualifying. I think that was the opportunity that when you when you're a driver in that situation, you're waiting all year for the first time that you can actually go out and put in the sort of performance that turns heads. Because while George has been doing a very very good job in a difficult situation this year, it's only internally that it's really recognised. I how many times this year, Ed, have, have we had a conversation on Sunday night or Monday morning? where you get to the Williams drivers in your driver ratings and you go, I've got no idea how to judge them. Because pff, who knows? And and as they discovered this weekend, or as George thinks he discovered on Friday, actually maybe there's been a little bit more performance in this car over the last few races than than, than they've actually accessed because they thought that they were on top of the tyres. 
And actually, this weekend they discovered, well, all know we've done something quite different and it's made a massive difference. 1.3 seconds, the difference between Kubica and Russell in qualifying, which is a huge gulf. And, and Kubica seems to be still all at sea with the tyres. And contrast that, Russell was absolutely on top of the world, wasn't he? It's like it was as if he'd found, you know, a, a suitcase full of cash. I, I, I think that a big chunk of that gap in qualifying was real. And it was probably mostly down to tyre prep and, and, that, and that understanding that George now, now thinks he's, he, he has. But it was just nice because... My point was going to be that when you have those moments, they're so they've been they've not even been rare. They've been non-existent so far this season to have something that someone outside of the team could have realistically noticed. And in in one brilliant step forward, we call it a leap forward because they've been detached on the back row of the grid. And there was and there was Russell pumping in the lap that briefly put him in ninth. Obviously, he was always going to tumble because of the, the nature of the track progression in qualifying. But to miss out by half a tenth of a second, a half a tenth that's probably explained by a bit of a wobble coming onto the coming through the last corner in preparation for his lap. So he's he, he's down a tenth, I think, by. Not sure if he's down a tenth by the time he gets to turn one, or yeah, just basically in the first by the time sector. he gets basically by the time he gets to breaking to turn one. So so so. That that's the difference, and and George did say, didn't he, on on Saturday that you know he has to be absolutely satisfied with it. He can't look at it as oh I missed out on Q two because it was such a big step forward, and he's really pleased with everything else that he did. And yeah, okay, it didn't quite work out to the way they wanted it to in 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 the race. Maybe it's a little bit of what we saw with the Ferrari as well, where ultimately does that lack of downforce gets exposed a little bit more in race trim, but just. Brilliant for a, a young talent like Russell to have a moment where he can make his mark and turn some heads, and just nice and endearing and sweet to see Williams a little bit more competitive because there's no no one takes any pleasure from from seeing them like that. They're they're, they're a team with very very few enemies. Um, it's elite sport. The the best uh, the people who do the best job get the best results, and the people who don't do a good enough job end up at the back of the of the grid ultimately. But that doesn't mean you lose that human element. There's a lot of good people at Williams, real people, and it it can't have been it can't have been fun the last eighteen months at Grove trackside with Williams. Just nice for them. You you don't really celebrate sixteenth places and and do do you in 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 F one? But they I think they if they'd gone away with a smile on their face Saturday night and Sunday night, I think it would have been justified. Well, George has talked about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, quite a few occasions in recent months. I think this is the first time we've seen it as well, actually. Yeah, very, very much so. The interesting thing was that it wasn't, in terms of the qualifying pace, it wasn't actually quite their closest to the front. They were slightly closer at Silverstone. Although at the Hungara ring, all of the midfield was further back. So they were closer to the midfield, but fractionally further off the, the outright pace. Just a, I propose nothing really. But Russell, this, this Russell, is Ed has been looking at the data. Yeah, I like data. But Russell was really impressive in, in FP3 on Saturday. Uh, I was down in the, the final sector watching sort of through 12, 13. In particular, and Russell was one of the most impressive drivers actually. And some, you know, tyres do help you there. But just in terms of just being impressive in that, being on his marks in the entry phase and loading up the car right and he got it hooked up nicely on the on the in, on the inside curve it was only really him and Raikkonen that were that were doing that consistently and Kubica was for whatever reason 
taking the sort of the wide line, you can take lots of different approaches through there. And he's having sort of two or three stabs at the throttle to feed it in. So you can see a Feel, huge difference. It feels like there. What, you, what you might do in a go kart, isn't it? That's being recalcitrant and understeering or something. You just give it a stab just yeah, to, try to try and, and, try and get work it, it which get we have it back seen. Where you wanted to point. Which we have seen at times from Kibitz this year. Well, I think now it's past midnight. We should probably wrap up there. But yeah, a great way to. Uh, to finish this great mid-season run, isn't it? And it's, well, it's in a way, it's a little bit of a shame that Verstappen didn't win to make it three wins in four and, you know, just create a little spark of a hope that we could see Verstappen in the, in the, in the title hunt. It's still nice to have had such a, a decent run of races, French Grand Prix apart. I mean, the, the fact that Bottas has fallen so far away means that while it would be very premature to say the championship's done, the championship is basically done. Hamilton is almost certainly going to win the title this year. It'd be amazing if Bottas turns it around from now. So we're going to need to, a stunning run of Bottas form or Hamilton to hit Armageddon, basically, over the yeah, second half of the season. 62 points just isn't, isn't going to happen. It's, it's phenomenal. But what's amazing, and this is what I find so interesting about this season, is race by race, we've got really good storylines. And this was another fascinating Grand Prix today at a circuit that usually needs something a bit an extra variable to spice things up it didn't we had an authentic race people used race to take today. this race off a summer break notwithstanding you know in, back in the ITV F1 days Martin Brundle would, would take it as extra holiday they'd have to draft someone else this, in this track has massively grown into Formula 1 hasn't it it's, yeah, exactly. it's a really good track now. It, 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 and the, the, the race was very good and I, I think for a for a championship that was um, supposedly dead a few races ago, F1 appears to be live and kicking, doesn't it? Yeah. How about the fact that Mercedes absolutely fought for that win when they could have just sat back and collected the points? Yeah, yeah, they, and they they rolled the dice and uh, yeah, it paid off, which is what a great storyline. As uh, she said, well, we should wrap up there. Obviously, the Autosport podcast will continue through the the August break with its uh, twice weekly episode, so we shall be back. Do check out autosport.com for all the latest from Formula One and the rest of the world of motorsport. Loads of Hungarian Grand Prix fallout in there, much of it by uh, Scott Mitchell, indeed, who's been industriously hacking away at the, at the keyboard as it were I, I wouldn't describe him as hacking away at the keyboard it's more like the magic of Richard Clayderman as he types away hey, unlike so- some people who bash furiously at keys I can't stand furious key bashing he's been quite a good neighbour because he's sort of un- unobtrusive you don't feel that vibration through the desk of keyboard hammering hatred coming through every keystroke I can only apologise for the words and sentences that my uh, keyboard tickling is going to provide on autosport.com in the coming weeks. And I can also only apologise for the uh, words and sentences coming out of Stuart Codlin's mouth over this uh, podcast. I'm pleased someone apologised. It was it was necessary. So yeah, do check out autosport.com. And of course, our plus subscriber area for all sorts of in-depth features. Autosport magazine, of course, out every Thursday. And uh, this coming Thursday will be in-depth coverage of the Hungarian Grand Prix. Check out sister titles, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly. And of course, Stuart Codlin does uh, plenty of work in there and of course Flat Chat with Codders the, the, the F1 Racing powered podcast which I have recently made a guest appearance on which I've Indeed it was like that edition of well the the, cr- the great crossover story of Magnum P.I. and Murder She Wrote where amateur detective and uh, mystery thriller writer Jessica Fletcher visited Hawaii and solved uh, an attempted murder on one of Robin Master's guests 
Well, there we go. You know, some might be surprised that you're talking about this, but you have basically talked about that crossover project pretty much every day for the past week and a bit. Oh, it's fascinating. Journey, so. Fascin- YouTube, YouTube is your <laughs> is, is is your guide here. Anyway, you're interrupting my uh, my outchest. Yeah, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly. Uh, check out motorsport.com as well, sister website, and of course, Motorsport News out every Wednesday. And please do subscribe to the podcast, as I say, out every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another. Autos World Podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.